This morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to James chapter 4. We're going to look at James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Just keep your Bibles open, and you can follow along in the outline as well. And um, we'll read the Scripture as we go through it. But right now, I want you to think of the one person in your life that causes more conflict than any other person. You don't need to say that name out loud. In fact, I encourage you not to. But how many of you can think of one person in your life that causes more conflict than anyone else? Anyone here? And, uh, wow. How many of you have no conflict whatsoever in your life? I'm sure we all deal with it from time to time. But I, I want us to take a look at what James has to say about how to handle conflicts. In fact, James is, I, I love him because he doesn't beat around the bush. He, he gets raw, right to the point. Long before modern psychology came along, he had some tremendous insights in how to handle conflict. In fact, listen to what he says in verse 1 of chapter 4. What causes fights and quarrels among you? And I think it's important to realize he was writing to the church. He wasn't writing to the world out there. He was writing to people within the context of the church. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battles within you? James says that the cause of arguments is conflicting desires. Conflicting desires. When my wants conflict with your wants, the sparks begin to fly. Conflict starts early in life, even before you can talk. I mean, have you noticed that a baby, if his needs are not being gratified instantly, lets you know that his needs are not being gratified? You can argue even before you know how to talk. Marriage has built-in conditions for conflict. I mean, you, you think about your expectations before you got married and what you were planning, and you were so idealistic and maybe not totally realistic about the situation And what a rude awakening that was. When you woke up that morning and looked over at Prince Charming, and he wasn't so charming. You know, all marriages go through three stages. Stage one, happy honeymoon. Stage two, the party's over. And stage three, let's make a deal. At stage three, you have to learn how to deal with conflicts because you are going to deal with conflicts. They're just going to happen. And um, they're going to happen because you have conflicting desires. Frustrated feelings cause fights. So what are these desires? Well, the Bible makes it very clear, not only here but elsewhere throughout Scripture, that there are three basic desires every one of us has that cause conflict in our life. Now, these desires are legitimate desires, unless they're out of control. In fact, God gave us these desires, so under control, they're good. But we all have to deal with them. And when they become number one in your life, rather than Jesus Christ, you will have conflict. So what are these desires that I'm talking about? Well, the first desire is the desire to have. Every one of us has that desire. We want to have things, materialism, possessions, whatever you want to call it. In fact, verse 2, James says, You want what you don't have. You long for what others have. God created things to be used and to enjoy. And that's what they're here for. There's nothing wrong with having things. We're supposed to use things 
and enjoy and love people. The problem is when we start to love things. When we start to love things, we get the equation backwards. We start loving things and then we wind up using people. We manipulate them. We we control them. We move them around to get our own way and our own desires met. It's very easy to fall in love with things these days. All you have to do is watch television and see all the commercials that are there. And when that desire to have becomes number one in your life, it's going to cause conflict. It's not by accident that Gallup says that 56% of all marriages that end in divorce end because of money problems. 56% of all marriages that wind up in divorce wind up there simply because of money problems. Things in our lives become an area of battleground. We as Americans think that the Constitution says life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. In fact, someone asked Howard Hughes years ago, just how much does it take to make a man really happy? And he said, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. We've got to learn to deal with the desire to have. You see, if you decide to base your life on comparing yourself with other people, you're going to have conflict. You're never going to be happy. Just the time that you catch up with the Jones, they refinance. There's always, there's always something more. And secondly, there's the desire to feel. The desire to feel. And we all have that. I want to feel good. I want to be comfortable. I I want to have my senses satisfied. In fact, verse 3, James says, you want only what will give you pleasure. Now understand, it is absolutely not wrong to enjoy life. In fact, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, God made everything for our enjoyment. God put all this stuff out here for us to enjoy. But when pleasure becomes your number one goal in life, If it feels good, do it. You're asking for conflict. The desire to feel good can just develop conflict in our lives. The desire to have and then the desire to feel good are are two desires that when they are thwarted in our lives cause conflict. And resentment begins to build up in our relationships with others. And thirdly, we have the desire to be. The desire to be. This is pride, power, prominence, popularity. I want to be number one. It's the desire for me first. Frank Sinatra sang a song. Some of you are are mature enough to remember it. And it simply was, I did it my way. I did it my way. And even though it was a great popular song, it really stated just kind of the, the overall philosophy of America. You know, we're not just the me decade, we are the me generation. Get on top, be the big shot, strive for success, walk around and say, watch me, watch me. Now, you know, that's really cute when a little kid comes up and says, watch me, daddy, watch me, mommy. And that's that's cool, but it's not so cute when adult kids say, watch me, everybody, you know, We become so subtle in doing it. Watch me by the way I dress. Watch me by the clothes that I purchase. 
Watch me by the kind of car I drive. Watch me by the kind of things that I use to put in my house and so forth. It's a desire to impress. It's the desire to be number one in the wrong way. In fact, Proverbs chapter 13 verse 10 says, Pride leads to arguments. Pride leads to arguments. Why? Well, I'm too proud to compromise, and that will cause conflict. Have you ever been in an argument, and you knew that you were wrong, but you wouldn't admit it? We've all been there. Why? Because of pride. Pride causes us to to just hang in there when we know we need to get out. The next time you're in an argument, say to yourself, is it worth it? Is it really worth it? And James tells us that pride, when we think we can do things on our own, through our own power, through our own ability, causes two problems. Listen to what he says in verses 2 and 3. You do not have because you do not ask God. But when you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives. And James gives us two reasons why our desires aren't being fulfilled. Number one... We don't pray. We simply don't ask God for his help in situations. We, we look to the wrong source. We look to people to fulfill our needs and not to God to fulfill our needs. And God says, I'm going to meet your needs. All you have to do is pray. And then when we do pray, all too often, we pray with the wrong motives. We ask things in a selfish way. The Bible says that everything I need... Not everything that I greed, but everything that I need, God will provide. He'll meet my desires to have. He'll meet your desires to to be. And he'll meet your desires to feel. He'll meet your needs, but not your greeds. In fact, Philippians 4.19, and a lot of you know this verse, My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You see... If we simply ask in prayer, God will meet our needs. We'd rather argue about it than ask in prayer at times. We'd rather fight with someone over something rather than really go to the Lord in prayer. You know, let me show you how that works. When I'm upset with my wife, the last thing on my mind is prayer. When I'm upset with someone, the last thing I want to do is pray. You see, we're not thinking about prayer at a time like that. But James says, that's your problem. We look to others instead of looking to God. And that causes conflict. And and then we decide, well, I can just work this out by myself. Prayerlessness is in and of itself an evidence of pride. Prayerlessness is an evidence of pride. Why don't I pray? Well, I might not say it, but... I just don't think I need God in this situation. If I really thought I needed God more, I would pray more. James says we would have a lot more peace in our life if we would simply pray more. We'd have a lot less to worry about. We'd have a lot less to argue about. We'd have a lot less to fight over if we just prayed more. There's an old hymn. It's so old, but it's so contemporary And what it says to us today, Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. Why? 
All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And then in the next verse, James talks about conflict with God. You see, pride doesn't just cause conflict with other people. Pride causes conflict with God himself. In verse 6, he says, God opposes the, opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God has declared war on selfishness. I want you to catch that, friends. God has declared war on our selfishness. Have you noticed how God has just a, a unique way of engineering circumstances to pop our pride bubble? Just about the time that you think, man, I've got this thing wired. I'm, I can control this. I've got it totally together. He puts you in your place through some kind of circumstance. And you know, to be in opposition with God is not a good place to be. Because you're not going to win the battle. If pride is a cause of arguments, and that's what James is saying here, well, what's the cure? Well, he gives us a cure very simply. The cure for arguments and the cure for conflicts in our lives is humility. Now, how does that work? I mean, how? Well, look at verses 6 and 10. God gives grace to the humble, it says in verse 6. God gives grace to the humble. And then in verse 10, he says, okay, now that you know that, humble yourself before the Lord, and then he will lift you up. What is grace? We have all kinds of definitions for grace. But one that we miss out a lot on is grace is simply God's power to change. God's power that he gives you to make a change in your life. So let me ask you a question today. What would you like to change in your life? What would you like to change about yourself? Whatever it is, you need grace to do it. What do you want to change about your relationships? What do you want to change about your marriage, your family, your friends? Whatever you would like to change, you need God's grace. You need God's power to really change it. Just remember, grace is God's power to change. And there's only one way to get grace. You humble yourself. You simply humble yourself. God doesn't give grace to people who, who feel, that, who are full of pride and think, I can do it on my own. And here's how easy it is to get God's grace. He gives it when we come to Him and simply say, God, I need your help. God, I just can't do this on my own. I just need your help. And that's when and where to get God's grace and His power to change the situation. And then in the next few verses, James gives us several short sentences. And, and James is so practical, he doesn't waste a lot of words. He gets right down to business, and he gives four specific actions that you can take that need to be taken in order to diffuse conflict. Here's how you do it. Whether it's between you and a kid, you and your parents, you and your children, you and your wife, you and someone at work, you and someone at school, you and, your, and someone significant in your life. You do four things to, to just diffuse conflict in your life. Number one, you give in to God. You simply give in to God. Look at what James says in verse 7, right out there in front of us. Submit yourselves to God. Submit yourself to God. In other words, give Him control. Put him in charge. Yield yourself to him. 
And you see, that's the starting place. That's not the end. It's the starting point. Quit trying to run your own life. In fact, in verse 1, it says, your desires battle within you. Your desires battle within you. James says that the conflicts that are happening in your life with other people are because you have conflict within your own life. You don't get along with other people because you've got a civil war going on in your life. That's the real issue issue that you're dealing with here. And the starting point is getting peace on the inside before you can have peace on the outside. Find peace of mind and peace in your heart. You see, the real conflict is inside of you. Who's in charge of my life? You see, if you're in charge of your life then when others come against you or when others want to do things not the way you want to and you want to do them this way, you know what happens? You get irritated, you get upset, and and, and conflict develops. But if Jesus Christ is in charge of your life and someone wants to do something different, you relax with it a little more. You're not quite so irritable. In fact, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let the peace of Jesus Christ have control of your heart. And you see, when we have the peace of Christ within our hearts, then we're going to have peace with other people. If we don't have that kind of peace in our lives, then, friends, we try to manipulate people. We try to control them. We try to move them around so we can get them to do what we want them to do. And when they don't, we become totally frustrated. The starting point of getting along with others To avoid conflicts and to avoid arguments is to get peace in your own life through the rule of Jesus Christ. Give in to God. Get to the point where you can say, Thy will be done, instead of saying, Me first. That's the difference. When you can say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. Whatever you desire, that's my desire. Then the peace process starts. Secondly, Get wise to Satan. Get wise to Satan. Be aware. Be alert on what's going on. Realize what he's doing. Understand where conflict really comes from, where conflict really starts, what the source is behind it. Listen to what James says in verse 7. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And that word resist is a war word that James used. It means be prepared. It means to stand against. It means to withstand an attack. The devil wants to destroy every good relationship that you have. Your marriage, your friends, your buddies at school and so forth. Why? Because Satan loves conflict. He loves arguments. He wants To cause confusion, argument, stress, hurt feelings, disillusionment, disappointment, anger, chaos. He just loves to do that kind of stuff. And James says, number one, you've got to give in to God. Let him have control of your life and the situation. And secondly, you need to take some defensive action on your part. You've got to resist the devil, but you need to realize what he's doing. You know, if you go along in your life... And every day you get up and you never have conflict with the enemy, could it be that you're headed in the same direction? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 11 says, In order that Satan might not outwit us, we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul says, wise up. 
recognize his tactics, know how he operates. So how does, the, how does Satan, how does the enemy operate in our lives? Well, he doesn't stand around with a pitchfork in his hand dressed in a funny red outfit with horns like we see at Orange Julius at all. He plays on our pride, particularly wounded pride. He tells us what we want to hear. He whispers things in our ears, things like, you don't have to take this kind of stuff. Retaliate. Who are they to, to do what they're doing to you? Step up. Get even. Assert yourself. Don't put up with this kind of stuff. Show them who's really boss. He tells you all the things that pride would like to hear in your life. And you know, here's how it works, friends. And, and, and you can memorize this statement real easily. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. I learned that a long time ago. When someone's hurt, they just respond by trying to hurt back. You can think of your own situation. When you've been hurt, backed into a corner, what do you do? You want to fight back. Hurt people hurt people. So how do you resist the devil? You do it the same way Jesus did. He quoted scripture. Memorize Proverbs 13.10. And I'm going to help you memorize it right now. It simply says, pride leads to arguments. Say that with me. Pride leads to arguments. Now turn to someone and say, pride leads to arguments. Just tell them that. Okay. Now, how many of you have memorized Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10? You've got it now. Pride leads to arguments. And the next time you get into an argument, stop and think, how can I be peaceful here? How, how am I bringing pride into this situation? What am I not willing to admit? What am I not willing to compromise? And by the way, compromise in relationships is the only way you're going to have good relationships. Where am I only thinking about myself and not the other person's needs, not the other person's desires, not the other person's attitude? But there's a great promise that James gives here as well. He says, resist the devil, but he doesn't just say resist the devil. He says, when you resist the devil, he will flee from you. You don't have to put up with Satan. Give in to God, get wise to the devil or to Satan, and next, grow closer to God. Grow closer to God. Now, how does this affect arguments? Well, first of all, how do you grow close to God? You all know. You read the Word. Spend some time in the Word. You go to church. You go to a Bible class. You, you have a meeting during the, during the week, a discipleship, something like that. All of these kinds of things help you grow closer to God. And I've made an amazing discovery in my life that the more time I spend alone with God, the better I get along with people out there. The more time I spend alone with God, the better my relationships are with people out there. It's that simple. Grow close to God. In fact, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says, He will keep him in perfect peace. All those who trust in him, whose thoughts turn often to the Lord. When you spend time with the Lord, 
and you turn your thoughts to him, then you're just going to get along better with people, friends, because he keeps perfect peace in your heart. And when you have peace in your heart, you're not all churned up, and you're much more peaceful with those around you. Have you ever noticed how some people basically only draw close to God when they're in trouble? They only pray when they have a need. Friends, you need to spend time with the Lord even when you don't have needs. You just need to have some time with the Lord. Bible studies, Sunday morning church, daily quiet time, small group Bible studies. Make time for those. And I know some of you are saying, hey, Larry, time? I don't have enough time. Well, you're saying, I'm too busy. And, and the truth is, you probably are too busy. Maybe you need to cut something out of your life so that you can spend more time with the Lord. You know, the more time that you spend with Him, the more you're going to be effective with the time that you do have. You're going to get along better with others. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be more, life is going to be more beneficial in your situation because you're spending time with God. It's amazing. And when you spend time with him, he helps you to dial down, relax in situations, not get so uptight, not fret, and things go better. Draw close to God, and there's a great promise. He will draw close to you. How many of you know it's not a bad thing to have God in your corner? I want to encourage you. Get close to him, and he will get close to you. There's a principle. The conflict in your life is in direct proportion to the time you're spending with God. The time, the conflict that you're dealing with in your situation is in direct proportion to the time you're spending with God. And there's a great promise that he gives here as well. When you draw close to God, he will draw close to you. So give in to God. Get wise to Satan, grow close to God, and then here's the one that's really hard. This is the one we all struggle with. Ask for forgiveness. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. If you want to stop conflicts in your life, if you want to get along with other people, you want to avoid arguments, learn to ask for forgiveness from God, but also from those that you've hurt. In fact, look at verse 8. And in verse 8, he says, wash your hands, purify your hearts. And our heart, our hands represent our conduct, what we do. And our hearts represent our attitudes. He's saying, clean up your act. In verse 9, in the Living Bible, it says, let there be tears for the wrong you've done. Don't minimize what's happened. Take it seriously. Be sorry for your self-centeredness. You know, if someone comes to you and says you've hurt them, guess what, friends? You have hurt them. It may, be, may not be a big deal to you, but it is a big deal to them. Be willing to ask for forgiveness. You know, when I first started a pastor, I thought pastors, you know, they're the holy man of God. They need to be all wise. They need to have all the answers. And they always need to be right. I mean, what happens when a pastor is wrong? Well, we're in trouble. But, you know, I learned that I wasn't always wise. I didn't always have the right answers. And every once in a while, I just messed up. And I learned a principle. 
eating crow may not taste good, but there is nourishment in it. You know, sometimes we just need to eat crow, but you'll grow when you do it. Be honest and wise with people. Now, I want you to go back to the person that I wanted you to think about who was causing most conflict in your life. I want you to get that person in mind right now. Would you like to begin to resolve the conflict with that person? How do you do it? Let me ask you a question. Are you willing to apologize for your part? You see, maybe they are 95% in the wrong, and you're only 5% in the wrong. You take care of your 5% and let God handle the other 95%. You see, their response is their response. And you're not responsible for their response. You're responsible for what you do. Remember, God gives grace to the humble. And you know, there's no greater way to be humble than to ask for forgiveness. Because basically you're just letting it all hang out and you're saying, I'm wrong. I don't have it all together. You need to be willing to do that. But it's amazing. When you humble yourself and ask for forgiveness, God will lift you up. And you know... When God lifts you up, it's amazing how conflicts are solved. I, um, over the years, I, I've had a, a lot of different situations in which I've dealt with churches, with boards, and, and so forth along these areas. And you know, you can't always be right. And you can't always say the right thing. And sometimes you you try to say the right thing, and it comes out wrong. And uh, But, you know, you need to just relax with that and be real. By the way, others know whether you're real or not. And um, when I was uh, pastoring up at Pismo years ago, I went through a really rough time and had a number of people just come against me in a situation that actually wasn't my fault. And, and you don't know how I wanted to come back at those people. And how I want, and they, they literally tried to destroy my, my ministry there. But the Lord told me, Larry, I'll fight the battle. You don't need to fight the battle. You need to just love them and get out of the way. And I won't tell you how God worked that out. But you know, there came a point a few months later where we, um, we all got together and the church moved on. And I was able to put my arms around those people. They stayed in the church. They didn't leave. I didn't leave. And we still went on. But there was one family that had a lot of resentment. And over 20 years later, I went back to do a special service there. And a lady came up and she said, my name is, do you still remember? I couldn't forget. I knew exactly who she was. And she said, Larry, I am so sorry 
for what I did back then. And, and, and I, will you forgive me? You know, I said, I forgave you years ago. That's over. But what if I would have come at her and run her out of the church? Twenty years later, there would have never been that reconciliation and coming together. You see, we look at the short thing, and God sees the big picture. And you know, you have a new pastor coming. And I'm so excited about that. Uh, This is a great church. It may not be the richest church. It may not be the biggest facility. But this church can be the church of the most love anywhere. You can do that. But part of that is loving one another. Caring for one another. Not holding grudges against each other. And so I mentioned in the first service, I looked out at the congregation, and you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to just take you all and put you in a big box and put a bow around it and hand you over to Pastor Tony when he comes. And say, Tony, Pastor Tony, this is the greatest group in the world. They may not be rich. They may not have a lot of things. But you know what they have? They have love for God and love for for one another. And it's a place where you can be totally accepted no matter who you are, no matter what your background, no matter what you've done. This group will accept you, they'll love you, and they'll be there for you. They'll have your back. Is that the kind of church you are? Is that the kind of church you want to be? I think you are, and I think you can be. So I'm going to help you with that right now. And I want you to stand right where you are. And I want you to just move right across the aisles. Just move right. Get rid of these aisles. That's a big gulf there. Just move across and hold hands with one another. And you know, you may wind up holding hands with someone you don't know. But it doesn't matter. You're part of the body of Christ together. Will you bow your heads? And, and, and I want you to just pray for that person on your right, right now. And not out loud, but just to the Lord. And, and pray that God would do His perfect will in their life. That God would help them wherever they're struggling. That if they have a, a problem in their life, God is going to give them victory. Just pray that prayer for them right now. And now I want you to pray that same prayer for the person on your left. That God's will would be done in their life. That God would fill them with love and power and the grace to change things that need to be changed. Now, Lord, I pray that you would just anoint this congregation with peace that passes all understanding, that you would anoint each person here with a special dose of your love, love for one another and love for you. Lord, I pray that you would also help us to be open and honest and transparent and that we would go to that person that we're struggling with and we would take care of our 5% 
and allow you to deal with the 95%. And I pray that this congregation would be known throughout this valley as a place where love rules and Jesus Christ is Lord of his church. And so I lay them into your hands, asking that you will just work in their lives, whatever they're dealing with, in your name. Amen.